What were you made for? A Good Omens multivoice podfic written by Sodium Aside and voiced by Sky Asimaru and Trap. Summary Sensible people do not go out and investigate mysterious noises in the woods. Sensible people stay on their farms and would very much survive a hypothetical horror movie. However, in the battle between being safe and being a good host to unexpected, if terrifying, guests, politeness must win out. After the terror, it turns out that the prize for winning was more than a lonely farmer could ever have dreamed. Written for the prompt Modern Cryptids Aziraphale had been born at night, but it hadn't been last night, and he knew just as well as anyone else that you didn't get anywhere in life by not being sensible. Bad times didn't stay bad, and good times weren't forever either. Door-to-door salespeople did not have your best interests at heart. Some glue and bailing twine would extend the life of your old boots for an extra few months, which could save enough to buy a little something for your mama for her birthday. He went to church on Sundays and had faith that God had a plan and that it was good. The rest of the sermons he was a bit less sure about, but he sensibly kept his mouth shut about that. Being a good Christian might mean that you would go to a heavenly reward at the end of days, but it sure as hell didn't guarantee rain when you needed it. That said, a bit of prayer never hurt. Aziraphale liked things that made sense and did his own taxes line by line to be sure of things. But just because he didn't believe in superstitious hokum didn't mean he was stupid. He left the old fairy tree intact, even if it was in the middle of one of his better fields. He didn't disturb mushroom rings. He didn't litter. He kept his pocket knife clean, sharp, and always in his jacket when he dressed for the day. When there were strange howls and wails from the nighttime woods, he pulled the curtains and didn't fucking go investigate outside and get caught. It was Thursday night, or possibly past the threshold into Friday morning, and he was tired, but that wasn't really an excuse. He had been raised to be polite, and that meant not ignoring when one had guests. Emergencies were always at the worst times, too. No one knew what had happened to Mr. and Mrs. Stowling on the edge of town, after all. Aziraphale shouldn't have answered the door. The night was very still, without even the sound of crickets. Aziraphale looked down slightly at the four children standing clustered on his doormat in the buzzing yellow fluorescence of his porch light. Four young faces, strangely solemn, all different, except for matching fully black eyes like voids. A moth 
drawn by the light, flapped chaotically near the face of one of the little boys. Faster than a Xerophile could track, their mouth opened and snapped shut. A Xerophile stared. They stared back up at him, chewing, then swallowed, expression shifting into something a little guilty for a moment, before smoothing back out into studied blankness. Okay. Okay. The one closest to the center still had his hand hovering unmoving in the air from where he had been knocking. It didn't seem to occur to him that someone would let their arm fall back down again. His hair was a cheerful riot of blonde curls, and were it not for the horrifying black pits in his face, he would have been the platonic ideal of a child. His lip pouted for a moment. Can we come in? he asked sweetly. Oh, hell no. But guests, children alone at night. Terrifying children. But you couldn't just ignore kids. In Aziraphale's defense, as previously stated, he was very tired, and it turned out that grumpiness and a polite upbringing combined terribly with pre-dawn adrenaline. Is this the part where you kill me to death in a grotesquely messy manner? Or is it more of the unsettling sterile disappearance like my neighbors last month? Because if it's the first, I'd rather be murdered outside where my demise won't leave a stain on the floorboards. My sister is my life insurance beneficiary, but she is terrible with housework and I'd rather not leave a visceral discolored reminder in the doorway. The children stared. Platonic ideal child shrugged like he was learning how shoulders worked. Um, the second, I guess? And that's how we got Warlock. Aziraphale stifled an ill-timed yawn, thinking hard. Oh, the Dowling boy? How are the uh, Dowlings doing? There was a pause. Warlock's fine. Ah, how very specific of you. I suppose it was a conflict of interest for him to come along with you for this, uh, visit? Moth-eating boy squirmed. He doesn't like us, he muttered sullenly. The rest of them looked murderous. Well, presumably that was their default state, but they hadn't shown it much. Aziraphale sighed. Well, friendship takes work, and the loss of parents can send anyone a bit off kilter. Just be patient and uh, understanding. He'll come around. The girl of the group scowled up at him. Hm. That doesn't make any sense. He asked for us. Then, when we showed up and helped, he was a stupid head. This was far above Aziraphale's pay grade. He was a farmer for a reason, and that reason was avoiding people. 
He sighed again, much more heavily, as Moth Boy snapped at a nut but missed. <sighs> okay, Mazirafil told the children. All of their heads snapped up like hunting hawks. His shoulders sagged, and he sent up a little prayer, asking for courage and welcome when he arrived in the afterlife. Okay, he repeated. You can come in. I am congenitally incapable of leaving children outside alone at night in any circumstances, and... Bugs cannot be good for you to be eating, dear God. Let me feed you first, then we'll, uh, well, you will decide what's next, I suppose. If I'm going to be dying momentarily, then we're cleaning out the freezer of all of the good ice cream. Moth Boy blinked. Aziraphil hadn't even suspected that any of them had eyelids. What's ice cream? Twenty minutes later, Naziraphil's kitchen looked like a cupcake boutique had exploded. The empty black ice was still unsettling, but frankly it was rather challenging to keep being afraid of a tiny face that was smeared with Hershey syrup. They couldn't even say anything ominous with their cheeks stuffed with marshmallows. Black-eyed, murderous child cryptids. Strangely obsessed with sprinkles and unholy ice cream flavor combinations. So, the little girl continued, she was the only one who had opted for strawberry flavor and, after some coaching, had even mastered the use of a large spoon. Aziraphale was proud. So Warlock was the one who called us, yeah? Just screaming out into the void that he wanted someone to come take him away for like ever. Yeah, agreed Moth Boy. He wasn't even upset about his parents at the time. Or now, I think. He's mostly upset that stuff is different. I mean, duh. Aziraphale nodded, screaming in the back of his head at how casual they were. Hmm. I had a difficult time adjusting when my dad, my father, passed, even though we weren't close. It wasn't so much that I missed him, but it was strange and upsetting that he wasn't there. <gasps> like not having a dog, platonic ideal boy said glumly. The rest of them rolled their eyes. Well, they acted as if they did. It was hard to tell. Actually, that's not the same at all, the last boy said. He was the quietest and liked to stand too close to a zero affair. A dog isn't the same as a dad. No, it's better, insisted platonic ideal boy. Well, maybe. Is a father the same as a dad? He asked a zero affair. This he could answer. Not in the slightest, he said firmly. A father is merely a biological preceptor, if you will. A dad doesn't have to be related to you at all, although he frequently is. 
They can be the same person, but being a father is just something that you did once. Being a dad is something that you keep doing. None of them seem to know what to say to that. Aziraphale licked his last spoonful of caramel pecan swirl gelato and tried to rephrase. Anyone with a gamete to spare can father someone. Sometimes they do it by accident. It doesn't really mean much by itself. If someone is a dad, it means that they love their children. It means that they take care of them and that they do what's best for them, so that they can grow up and live their best possible lives. He was getting a bit too deep for cats and drained himself in. Anyway, a father makes your life start. A dad makes your life happy. As Eurofield set down his bowl with a too loud rattle. Either one is uh, different from a dog, he added awkwardly. The children were silent, but the temperature of the room tangibly dropped. I think, platonic ideal boy said very slowly, that a dad wouldn't send you out to fetch him slaves and meat, then. Aziraphale shook his head just as slowly. No. Even if he tells you to with all of his voices? Even if those are the rules? The other children were practically shaking, black eyes fixed on the two of them. Aziraphale shook his head again. Mm -mm. It comes to mind to ask who wrote the rules and why. Platonic ideal child was very pale, and seemed as if he was about to cry. <laughs> you sound like Crowley used to. Who Crowley was would apparently remain a mystery. All four of them abruptly turned their heads to the side to face the east, although whatever they had heard, Aziraphale had not. He's calling! Aziraphale's breath caught, and he had to inhale deeply and resettle himself. He had had a good run. He would make sure it ended well, if only for his own ego. Aziraphale patted his thighs and stood, bustling over to the sink and leathering up the bar of soap. The children didn't care but he would be damned if he went to his death with his hands all sticky. He shrugged into his jacket and fumbled around until he found the torch and gave it a shake before thumbing it on. Um, does anyone need a scarf? Or do any of you actually feel the cold? He asked vaguely. He was still in his pajamas, but he pushed his sockless feet into his spare sneakers and figured that was good enough. He didn't need to be well-dressed to meet his doom. The children were swaying oddly on a threshold, glancing between him and the dim blue of the eastern sky, where dawn was just barely hinted at. 
In a few hours, the sun would rise, although Aziraphale wouldn't be seeing it. So, should I go in front, or can you all see in the dark? Aziraphale asked briskly. Quiet boy tilted his head. Actually, we can really only see well in the dark. Well, that made an odd kind of sense. In any case, that meant that they wouldn't lose momentum. All right, then. So, we can all walk together, then. But... The girl started. Aziraphale smiled at her, and he hoped it was comforting, though he didn't have much confidence. I know, dear, but I am an adult, and you are children. And as such, it is my job to protect you, no matter what. In this case, it is very clear that you are not being treated well. And so, at the very least, I can walk you home. And ideally, bend the ear of whoever is sending you all out on, um, gathering trips, all alone. That is not acceptable. Platonic ideal child stared up at him like he was performing miracles. Maybe you should stay here, he offered, but at the same time he held out a hesitant hand. Aziraphale took it. <laughs> Don't worry, Aziraphale promised quietly. No matter what happens, I can at least be beside you for as long as I can. Aziraphale didn't bother to lock the door behind them. The children could obviously see far better than he could, so he mostly kept the torch pointed at the ground ahead of himself, so he didn't sprain an ankle on a loose rock. Faster than they should have, they arrived. Aziraphale could barely see the branches of the old fairy tree that had grown here for longer than anyone knew. He had been mowing and tilling the earth in a respectful circle around it for so long, he didn't even have to think about it. Odd that he had never noticed the strange carvings in the scarred bark. His torch didn't illuminate things terribly well, but it was bright enough to show how the grass at the base of the tree was visibly sprouting, growing and dying in an endless cycle. Aziraphale blinked, and abruptly there was a door. It was old and scuffed, as if it had always been there, in the space between the pride and the fall. None of them moved. Small fingers tightened between his own, and Aziraphale looked down. The boy appeared to be having a panic attack. Aziraphale squeezed back in a steady, slow rhythm, and after another long minute, the little one calmed. Just because he made me doesn't mean it's okay, he confirmed in a very small voice. Aziraphale nodded. The children shared a last glance at each other, young faces far too shadowed and unhappy 
but with growing determination. They stood and did not walk through the door. What followed was confusing and horrifying, and Aziraphale could not have been more out of place, standing there with his little torch in one hand as an utterly inadequate weapon. There were monsters lurching and launching out of the darkness, with each child battling them in turn. The ground broke open in steaming agony, vast clawed hands wrapped in chains reaching for Xerophile and the small boy who stood holding hands. In a kind of calm clarity, Aziraphale noticed that the chains were carved with the same symbols that were etched into the bark of the tree. He wondered a little how long this thing had been bound. Thank God that he hadn't tried to fell this tree. The little boy screamed out something that Aziraphale couldn't understand and only then dropped his hand to stride forward and gesture. There was something that could have been a face, just barely visible through the cracks in the earth, twisted in a hate so old it had rotted into madness. The child shouted once more, despite that hand reaching towards them, and Aziraphale moved his pocket-knife resting in its little home in his jacket-pocket, was very sharp. There was a noise so loud that after the initial pain in Aziraphale's ears, it was beyond anything that he could actually discern. He came to himself eventually, sprawled on the ground and gasping. His pocket-knife lay in the dirt, blade rusted and corroded as if it had been lying outside for decades. His torch was still brightly illuminating the old fairy tree. The ground was even, if a bit overgrown. The door still stood. The children leaned against each other in a little huddle, as Everfield stood a bit shakily. His ears were still ringing a bit, but if all he had was a little tinnitus, he would count himself lucky. The little ones didn't quite hug him when he got to them, but they all patted at him awkwardly, as if trying to express affection with no real memory of how to do so. The girl was the first to recover and stomped to the door, looking backward scornfully, and the rest of them scrambled after. After a moment of hesitation, Mothboy tucked him along, and Rosiraphale walked through with them and down. It was dark, and none of the contours made sense, and his torch flickered and died with a pop within moments. The children guided him towards the dim glow ahead, and eventually they found a fire, and beside it was a cage with an odd puzzle-like wooden latch. The cage was holding someone slumped against the far side. The blonde boy undid the latch easily enough, and the prisoner twitched, 
then the head lifted slowly. The children's eyes were all dark pits, and at this point it was what Aziraphale expected. But the prisoner gazed up hazily through golden slitted eyes as elegant and exotic as a sleepy python. The prisoner rasped something in that strange language, and the children all babbled over each other in the same. Aziraphale had never been more tired in his life, but needs must. He stepped forward, lifting his hands to show he meant no harm, then offering a palm to assist the poor prisoner out of his cage. Hesitantly, and only after the children had continued chattering at him and helping hold the door open, the prisoner reached out and let Aziraphale help him to his feet and out. The walk back up into the chill of the blue pre-dawn was shocking, but it was possible that the cold air had never tasted so good. Aziraphale breathed deep and filled his lungs with it, promising himself fervently that he wouldn't be going into the cellar, or in fact underground at all, for a very long time indeed. It wasn't quite raining, but the fog was thick and cold. The children still didn't seem to feel it, but the freed prisoner shuddered and his teeth began to chatter almost immediately. The poor dear was apparently as sensitive to cool temperature as any other snake. Aziraphale shrugged off his jacket and helped them into it, then led the way to bring them all home. It took weeks before Crowley was able to introduce himself in anything remotely like English, but the children seemed happy enough to translate. A sullen boy showed up a few days into the experience, and at least this was someone that Aziraphale recognized. Warlock Dowling was in the throes of pre-adolescence, but at least he was able to introduce the other children to the idea of television. With each passing day, a bit of color bled into the blackness of the children's eyes, first white at the corners, then shades of brown and green and blue. Warlock and Aziraphale eventually hashed out a story about kidnapping and human trafficking, which was more or less enough to be getting on with, and after the Fufra settled, there were several local adoptions by various families in town. Crowley, in fits and starts and with dear little lisps and hisses, told a story of long imprisonment, being the favorite of himself had only lasted as long as Crowley had been obedient, and his heart limit had been in enslaving children ages and ages before. Even bound beneath the tree as he was, himself still had been able to keep Crowley locked away along with them. So it had been, until Aziraphale walked living and willing to offer his hand and his warmth and his home. As the children had said, 
Crowley had once been known for questions and a smart mouth. He had slowly remembered that part of himself. Despite the kind of suffering that moved Aziraphale to tears to even hear about, Crowley still retained too much dignity to kneel or to back. He wound himself around Aziraphale, his weight barely anything on Aziraphale's lap, and asked softly if he could stay. He asked if he could belong to him. He asked if Aziraphale could be his, to have and to hold. Aziraphale held him and answered. The End